So a couple of months ago, Diane came into my office, as she often does, to pitch an idea. And she asked me, what do you think about having a service that's themed around Dream Cruise Weekend? We could have fun music and tie-dye and all this other stuff. I said, you know, that sounds like fun. The longer it went on, the closer we got to this service, I realized that there was a problem. What in the world was I going to preach about that was themed around Dream Cruise Weekend? (laughs) So thank you, Diane, for keeping me on my toes with that one. This should come as no surprise to you, but I was not alive in the 1960s. A reminder that you did call a millennial pastor who was born in the late 1980s. I am, however, this morning brought back to my childhood. I come from a family full of car enthusiasts. My two cousins are actually pretty accomplished uh, sprint car race car drivers. Uh, One of my other cousins had a Mustang right around the time that I was learning how to drive, and he was gracious enough to allow me to use that Mustang to learn how to drive manual transmissions. And of course, he made sure that I was driving it in a parking lot where no other cars was around to make sure that his beloved Mustang had no harm come to it. And growing up, one of the favorite summertime activities in my family was my dad taking us to classic car shows all over the Chicago metro area. Now, I'm not the biggest car enthusiast these days. It's not a big passion of mine, but I did learn quite a bit about cars in those days. I learned about muscle cars and Hemis. I I learned about 327 small blocks. I learned how to recognize my dad's favorite cars, the Chevelle SS396, the Oldsmobile Cutlass 442, and the 55 and 56 Chevy Bel Airs. And some of you are chuckling because you remember those cars. Yeah, he had good taste. Yeah, let him know. We should do this more often. There's like interaction from the congregation. We've all become Baptists this morning. It's still my dad's dream to build his own 57 Chevy truck, and as he gets ready to retire later this year, he might finally have the opportunity and the time to do that. We used to try and stump my dad, making him guess the model year of the cars, and he usually was right just by looking at the taillights and the body style. At those car shows, I learned about now-defunct car brands like Studebaker and Packard. It's actually one of my goals now that I live in Detroit to go and tour the uh, abandoned uh, Packard facility down in Detroit. And so because I come from this family of car enthusiasts, I thought that it was my calling in life to learn how to become mechanically minded, to learn how to take care of my own car. And so when I was a freshman in high school, I took uh, automotive body shop class. And so our semester project was to disassemble and then reassemble a lawnmower engine. And we had to make sure that it ran at the end of it. So I took it all apart. You kind of know where this is going already. I took it all apart, (laughs) reassembled it, and of course it didn't run. My teacher graciously allowed me to pass the class still, and I, and I learned in that moment that it was not my calling to be mechanically minded, that there was no shame in paying somebody else to take care of your car for you. <laughs> cars are part of my family's DNA, and classic cars take me back to those fun memories of my childhood. And I imagine that weekends like this one, Dream Cruise Weekend, can make us all feel a little nostalgic. The tie-dye, the bell-bottoms, the classic cars, they can take us back to the past, back to those good times when we were children or young adults. And I imagine it fills us with a sense of joy and gladness for those cherished and well-loved memories. We all have those experiences that can make us nostalgic. Almost anything can trigger one of those cherished memories. All five senses can trigger nostalgia. I don't know if you all remember a blockbuster video. For anyone who is younger than me, 
who may or may be joining us online, Blockbuster was a physical place we used to have to go to rent movies. We used to go there in the 90s and the 2000s to first rent VHS tapes and then DVDs, and both of those are now, are now defunct. And of course, Blockbuster is now gone. We can easily stream anything we want to watch these days. But this is a picture of the last Blockbuster in the world, and it's located in Oregon, and they've turned it into an Airbnb where you can have a 90s-themed movie night. <laughs> and that is a picture of my childhood if I've ever seen one. I can almost taste the Domino's pizza and the microwave popcorn. <laughs> or as strange as it may sound, the smell of musty church basements can trigger nostalgia for me. It fills me with a sense of hope and belonging. It reminds me of, of growing up in the youth group in my home church, of, of being part of a story that's larger than myself, of finding a community and a place of belonging. Now, nostalgia hasn't always been considered a good thing. An article in the New York Times says that nostalgia was once considered to be a neurologic disorder of demonic cause. A little extreme, I think. But it was first coined in the 17th century by a Swiss physician to describe soldiers on the battlefield who were longing for this return back to home. Nostalgia is often understood as a, a painful experience, this longing for a return to the past, a longing for something that is no longer there. But what researchers have begun to understand is that nostalgia can actually have really positive benefits for our health and our well-being. And it all started with the psychologist, Dr. Konstantin Zedekidis, when he was at lunch with his colleagues in the 1990s. He had recently moved to Southampton, England. He was having this sudden wave of nostalgia for Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where he had just moved from. He was thinking of old friends, Tar Heel basketball, fried okra, and the smell of autumn in North Carolina. And his psychology colleagues assumed that Dr. Sedekitis was, was depressed. Why else would he be living in the past, they said. But Dr. Sedekitis insisted he wasn't experiencing any sort of emotional pain. What he said was that, I, I live my life forward, but sometimes I cannot help but think about the past. It was rewarding. Nostalgia made me feel like I had roots and, and continuity. It made me feel good about myself and my relationships. It provided a, a texture to my life that gave me the strength to move forward. But Dr. Sedekitis' experiences didn't align with the prevailing understanding and assumptions about nostalgia, so that led him and other colleagues into a deeper, to a deeper study. And over the course of a decade, what researchers found was that while nostalgia can sometimes be painful, that longing for a return back to the past, a return back to what is no longer there, it can also have really positive aspects to it. It can counteract boredom and loneliness. It can make us more generous to strangers and more tolerant to outsiders. It brings couples closer together as they share those cherished memories of the past. On cold days or in cold rooms, nostalgia can make people feel like they are literally warmer. It helps to give our life meaning. As we get older and the possibility of death comes closer and closer, it helps us to be less scared of our eventual departure from this world. When we can speak well of the past, it can make us more hopeful for the future. Researchers have also found that, that experiences with nostalgia are commonplace and universal, that most people will have nostalgic experiences once a week, and half of people will have nostalgic experiences three or four times a week. 
they found that children as young as seven will begin to experience nostalgia as they remember birthday parties and family vacations. It's universal in the sense that even as the study was conducted in England, in the Western world, it found the same defining features of nostalgia in places like Africa and South America. The topics were universal, looking back fondly on things like family and friends, holidays, weddings, songs, and sunsets. And what is perhaps the most powerful and potent way to induce feelings of nostalgia is music. And we've heard that already here this morning. Again, I wasn't around when this music was first released. But I grew up with parents who listened to the oldie station when we were driving anywhere around Chicago. I'm taken back to my parents' minivan this morning, especially as I listen to Spirit in the Sky, listening to Oldies 104.3, the Chicago Oldies station, or it used to be the Chicago's Oldies station, it is no more. My mom loved those folk classics, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Simon and Garfunkel. My, my dad loved Elvis, Frankie Valley, and the Temptations. And of course, I had my own music growing up, music that was uniquely part of my own generation. And when I listen to that music, it can make me feel happy. It can make me calmer when things are anxious and exhausting. It's music that I listened to when I was first dating Heather as we were driving around in the car. But nothing makes me feel older these days when the kids these days, I can say that now because I'm in my 30s, and the kids these days call my music from the early 2000s, they call it dad rock now. <laughs> can you believe that, dad rock? When did that happen? <laughs> it's music that draws us into those good and hopeful feelings of the past. It's music that allows us to walk through the present with courage and to look to the future with great hope. The church, too, has its own collection of music that provides a, a sense of comfort and, at times, a, a sense of God's overwhelming presence in our lives. We sang Amazing Grace here this morning as a medley, but we often sing that hymn at funerals, a reminder to us that even as we face death, God still holds onto us and keeps us. And, and as we enter into our eternal home, we are entering into that place that has always been prepared for us. Or through a pandemic that we thought was over that continues to not leave us alone, we sing hymns like, Great is Thy Faithfulness. In a week where the world seems like it's spinning off of its axis, where uh, an earthquake in Haiti, the crisis in Afghanistan, Great is Thy Faithfulness is a hymn that we sing reminding us that God is faithful in every time and place. And even when things are hard, God is still faithful. Or with all of those who have striven for justice, we sing, We shall overcome, trusting that that the just and peaceable reign of God will indeed come into our world, that we are joining with all of those who have worked for that reign, that it is always on the horizon, that we are joining in that work to make the world as it could and should be. And the Psalms are a collection of, of songs and poems that, that draw us into that sense of God's presence. The Psalms were originally written down as poems and songs that cover a wide variety of themes. They cover almost all of human emotions. There are praise psalms and lament psalms. There are psalms that call upon God for vengeance against one's enemies, and there are psalms that talk about God being incredibly gracious and merciful. And then there are psalms like this one that are a little nostalgic about what God has done. 
if there was one event in the history of God's people that was sure to evoke nostalgia, it was the events of the Exodus, the defining moment where God liberates the Hebrews from enslavement in Egypt. And this psalm sings about God's powerful deeds in the Exodus, how God redeemed the descendants of Jacob and Joseph, those ancestors in faith we just spent the entire summer in a family reunion with, how God used great leaders like Moses and his brother Aaron to lead the people through the waters of the Red Sea into freedom. If any story in the Old Testament was to make the people feel nostalgic, it was this story. God and the appointed leaders of the Old Testament are constantly instructing the people to remember how God did this amazing thing back in Egypt. Jesus, on the last night of his life, celebrates and remembers those events in the Last Supper, remembering what God had done. And and in that act of remembrance, it prepares the people for the new thing that God is about to do through Christ. But there is always a danger present in holy remembering, in these moments of nostalgia, is that the people would live in the past. And this was especially true in moments where things were hard. When the people of God lived in Babylon, in exile, and they returned back to find the temple in ruins, their their temptation was to think about the good old days, to think about when things were better, to think that the good old days were behind them, that the Spirit of God, how God had acted in the past, was behind them, and all they had before them was just to remember that event. But what this act of nostalgia, this act of remembering what God had done, was was meant to do, it was meant to, to ground the people, not to make them live in the past, but to remind them that the God who was present in the past is the God who is present in every time and place. This holy remembering, this sacred nostalgia gave them hope for the future. They were not meant to live in the past, but to celebrate the fact that the God who did great and amazing things for their ancestors is the God who will do great and amazing things for them. And as we look backwards in our own lives, we might experience some nostalgia for the ways that God has been present and faithful to us. We often don't see God until God is in the the rearview mirror, keeping with the car theme for today. It's a question that I often ask people, where have you seen God's faithfulness to you? If you were to look up in the rearview mirror, where would you see God? How would you have seen God at work in your life? And maybe if you look in the passenger side mirror, God would appear closer than he actually is. If you were to call to mind the great deeds of God in your life, what would you write down? If you were to write your own psalm, your own song about the things that God has done, what would you write down? Are there one or two events in your life that are sure things to trigger nostalgia for God's presence in your life? But of course, we can't live in the past. We can't just stare in the rearview mirror. Life moves forward. We have to look forward. And the good news is that the God who was faithful is the God who is still faithful. The Spirit of God is not trapped in the past. There are no good old days when it comes to God's presence and God's action in our lives. The fullest expression of who God is for us, our communities, and our world is not simply defined and confined to the past, but it is always ready and willing to pour into our lives. Where we have been allows us to look ahead to where God might be at work in the future. 
The past helps to ground and center us, especially when the terrain that is ahead looks a lot different than what we have experienced before. This morning, as we continue to sing those songs that fill us with nostalgia, as we go outside to look at some classic cars and to eat some ice cream on this sweltering late August day, remember the God who is faithful to us. Remember all of the ways that God has been faithful to you throughout all of your life. Have a little bit of nostalgia, some holy remembering for all of the ways that God has shown up throughout your life. But don't let it trap you in the past. Remember that the fullest expression of who God is is still ready and available to us now and ready and available to us for the future. Let that spirit, that presence of God ground you and prepare you for the ways that God will continue to work. Because the God who was faithful is the God who is faithful and the God who will be faithful. Thanks be to God. Amen.